Welcome to Should Have Listened to My Mother. I'm Jackie Tantillo. And before I introduce my guest, I'd like to read a quote from her book, The Alchemy of Womanhood. It's written in part for her daughter, Willow, as well as all young girls and women wondering what gifts and lessons their body will give them. Nothing on the outside will change you on the inside, and there's no right way to appear. The most beautiful and powerful women in the world today are so because they know, in the deepest place one can know, that they are beautiful and powerful just like you. My guest is a Dublin native now living in New York. She's a longtime practitioner and certified yoga and meditation instructor. She's an actor, a writer, a director. She's taught film and French in Dublin and theater at the Sorbonne in Paris. I don't know how you have time to be a mom and do all this, but Dolores Rice, it's wonderful to have you on Should Have Listened to My Mother. Thank you, Jackie. It's lovely to be here. I have a question. On paper, yeah. you have you have done so, so much. How do you describe yourself? Oof. Um, you know, I guess ultimately I am a storyteller and a seeker. You know, I think I've always been looking in the quiet places for a truth. And I have always wanted to express myself creatively. Um, so I guess those two two things are, yeah, I think that's how I describe myself, a storyteller, a seeker, and a passionate uh, community builder. And you've put all that in writing or into film, and you as an actor, you act as well. So you've really woven yeah. all the different mediums together, which is kind of fulfilling to service all the sides of you that have that desire. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I, I started writing when I was very, very young. I had an urge to write young. And then I kind of parked that. And then I had a very strong urge to direct very young as well. I'd put on shows in my back garden and invite neighbors' children into acting them. And um, and then I started dancing, and I was very passionate about dancing, um, you know. And then I sang a little later in life, and in school, what I was most passionate about were, you know, doing the musicals and the plays, and going to my classes after school. And um, and then when I got into academia, I was so passionate about I studied philosophy and French literature, so I was exposed to all these great thinkers and these great French films and great French theater. And, you know, so it just all kind of swirled together. And, I, you know, I guess I'm hungry for constant expression of beauty and truth, you know. So I, I keep moving toward that, you know. Have you finished your PhD in philosophy? That was something you're pursuing, right? Is that done? No, just something I'm pursuing. Um, I always wanted to and it has a more um, active life in the art, in the kind of, you know, in the, in the what would you say, the real artistic world of uh, production, mm -hmm. you know, so that I had, you know, production experience to offer once I went back into a more academic domain, um, just so that I was coming from a place of, of real knowledge and uh, expertise, as opposed to theory. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the PhD is always just 
been there in the background and, and, and a bit, you know, on the long finger because I've been, I guess, gathering more and more information, you know. And and as I tell my, we have two boys, as I tell them, I said, education is this empowering tool that can only make you feel more confident and more assured, but you can enlighten other people if you come across someone who isn't as uh, broad-minded a thinker as you. Education is like a key to the world. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, having said that, I have constant um, debates in my own mind. I have uh, three kids, and, you know, we're, as a parent, obviously, you're making choices every day about their education and, you know, what's good for them, what suits them, you know, all this notion of the right fit in terms of school and choices. Um, and I have three very creative children, um, two of whom have already, you know, started acting and have, um, you know, an acting career, so to speak. And you, you get, I get a little torn because on the one hand, this is their childhood and a moment for what people would traditionally think a moment for school and education. And I value my education and value what that has given me so much. And at the same time, I know, say, for example, my daughter is now 13. And when I was her age, I went to, you know, I was in Ireland, obviously, and went to a Catholic school and a kind of convent school. Um, But the thing that really uh, inspired me was going to my acting classes and my dancing classes and my singing classes and my friendships. And kind of, I grew up in a hotel um, we owned a hotel, a family hotel, and so all the stories of the people in that hotel, like that was my world that really formed me and really educated me. And so now when I'm making decisions for her, I have these choices of do I enforce a kind of more strict traditional education that would be deemed the good education academically, or do I allow her to explore what is calling her, you know, what really lights her up? And trying to navigate that balance, you know, because um, I guess there's a part of me that believes that some of the education on offer could be a little oppressive for children who need to actually discover who they are first before making choices about who they're going to be. Yeah, it's an age-old question, raising children. Yeah. The world has changed so much. Has education and schooling changed as much to keep up with it. So I think in time you will figure out what is right. And the fact that you're, you are married to an actor, Andrew McCarthy, it's not surprising that your children are performers, creative types. And yet I have a feeling that they're very grounded and I don't know about spiritual, but philosophical, because that's where you're coming from. Yeah, and believe me, we tried to squash it when they were young. <laughs> we tried to, like, we, we didn't put them in any acting classes deliberately. We swore they would never get on the stage. And, you know, we, we actually sent them to a Waldorf school, so they never had screens or, like, watched movies. Or, you know, we were like, we were going to keep them from the business. And then, of course, you know, as is tradition with children, they, like, completely go against what you have decided from the get-go. And both of them found them their own way to open calls and ended up meeting great success in acting. And, yeah, they are both phenomenally talented. And you couldn't put out that fire, even though we tried. When they were younger, we learned to go with it. It will all work itself out as life does. Exactly. So we are 
talking about your book today, right? Because it's really phenomenal. I tell you, I started reading the book. It was just on my phone when I got the initial, uh, the copies. And I was like, this is, I said, what am I reading? This is poetry. This is beautiful. This isn't a book about, you know, becoming a young woman and puberty and based on my experience. (laughs) So right from the get-go, I knew this. I had a feeling that this was something really, really special. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. So before we go any further, Dolores Rice is my guest, and the name of her book is called The Alchemy of Womanhood. Is this a re-release, or is this a brand new? So, so okay, so this was a strange uh, journey. I wrote this book um, when my daughter was uh, eight years old, um, about to turn nine. Uh, a few of the moms in the school she was attending Ask me, you know, what and when are you going to talk to your daughter about the facts of life, about, you know, getting her period, and how are you going to talk to her about it? And, um, you know, I, I didn't see a big challenge in that. That that was all kind of easy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I spoke to them about it, they said, would you mind writing something down for us so that we could just tell our daughters the same thing? So um, I started writing this book. And um, it just kind of all flew out. You know, it was a very, uh, I guess, sacred moment for me writing the book. Um, It felt very powerful and necessary, and I I just went with that. And then once I had written it, um, I felt like it deserved to be um, presented in a beautiful way because it was such important knowledge for young women. And I wanted to be reverential toward the knowledge, um, and so I asked a friend of mine who's a book designer to, to you know, design the layout. And um, and then this artist I know in England, um, Sue Blackwell, who does these beautiful paper sculptures, um, I asked her to design the, the cover. And when I put all that together, um, the school asked me, would I, you know, make it available for other parents and moms on Amazon. So I put it on Amazon. Um, so I didn't really release it as such. I made it available to anyone who wanted it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a publishing house uh, was interested in it, but then when they found out it was already on Amazon, they felt that complicated thing, so they, they didn't publish it in the end. And then just recently... Um, uh, 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 a lovely woman, a news anchor, got a hold of it and kind of fell in love with it. And she's like, this has to be out there in a bigger way. And so she, you know, brought the book uh, to other people to get some attention for it. And so it's kind of having this, like, second wind, I guess. Oh, it's great. Basically. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's a full circle right there. Does your daughter have any issues with you know, oh, mom, I can't believe you wrote this book for me, and now the whole world knows about it. Oh, God, not at all. Not um, no, she's all, she's, I mean, she'll tease me about the book sometimes, you know, um, but she is, no, she's a total, like, supporter of everything that's in the book, and she definitely lives this way, you know. So for her, there's no, she has no embarrassment or shame. Like, she, all the things I guess I would have wanted from having her have this knowledge young, you know, have borne fruit so far, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that for her, there's no, yeah, there's no embarrassment around these topics. 
you know. And you have two boys, two sons? Yeah. Have they read yeah, it? Have Will a, they read it? Eight. So, you know, uh, some people are like, can you write one for boys? And I was like, no, <laughs> this is coming from a woman. You know what I mean? I can't write it for a boy, you know. And then I go, can you get Andrew to write it for a boy? And I was like, I don't oh know. <laughs> like some, some man has to come up with writing it for a guy, you know, Um so, yeah, like my, my older, uh, my stepson who's 18 has read, and he's very supportive and very uh, sweet. And, you know, he, he, I had my, uh, my second child, my youngest boy, I had him at home. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was giving birth, my uh, eldest son was downstairs and he heard it all, you know. And it was a very kind of fascinating moment because I gave birth. And when the children were allowed upstairs to meet their little brother, he, he the first thing he did was come over to me, not his little brother, and put his hand on my shoulder and just say, good job. Like, he really got the power of that moment and what it was involved for a woman to do that, you know? Oh, my god! And gosh. I kind of felt like, even if he never reads the book, though he's read bits and pieces out of curiosity, he, he has felt... The, the, the guts of what the book is about you know he felt it firsthand in being in the house when that happened and I feel like he will have that knowledge and that respect for women at a very core fundamental level for the rest of his life, life. <laughs> yeah oh that yeah. is so special that is really special yeah oh my goodness what was your experience with puberty and becoming a woman the entire opposite so I, my mother never spoke to me about it. I, uh, you know, I bought my first bra, I bought, you know, my first sanitary towel, I bought, you know what I mean? I, there was no, we had literally no conversation. I mean, we had one conversation. I brought it up that there were, you know, blue bins in the school, which were the bins for, uh, you know, feminine hygiene products. And she said, and do you know what they're for? And I said, yes. And then that was it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <Wait. laughs> literally... No other conversation ever, except for them when my father discovered I'd spent the night at my boyfriend's house later, and there was a whole hoo-ha about it. And it just seemed very uncharacteristic, you know, for my mom at the time. I mean, now, like, as we've grown older, I know better. But then she just said, look, don't mind your dad. He's just jealous. You're his daughter, you know. Oh, my and gosh. I, it really, like, woke me up to something. <laughs> oh, my God, Okay. <laughs> So that, they were the two conversations we ever really had about, like, sexuality or puberty or, you know, anything like that. The name of the podcast is Should Have Listened to My Mother. So why don't you tell me your mom's name? So my mother's name is Margot, And she is um, a phenomenal, like, woman. And um, there are very few people who would meet my mother and not Are you from a large family? I have three brothers. And I did have a sister who died when she was six months old. Mm. Sorry. Yeah. I wasn't alive, but it was, I'm, I'm mentioning it only because it was quite a formative experience for the family, I think, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And your mom... Catholic. Yes. My mom and dad Catholic. <laughs> I'm yeah. the youngest of seven, six girls and one boy. My mom never said a word 
to me either. Exactly. I figured it out. Oh, is that what that is in, in the cabinet, you know, in the bathroom vanity? Oh, I guess that's how I... <laughs> Let's open exactly. one of those up. Oh, is this how it works? Okay, next. <laughs> and then and then the Catholic schools, they pull all the girls out of the classroom and go watch the movie about, you know, your first period and all that kind of stuff. And all the girls would come back into the classroom with the boys embarrassed and, you know, red cheeks. And, and, and it was terrible. But we survived it. We survived. Not that that's good. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I have, I mean, I'm quite, you know, like I've spoken about my, certainly my rejection of uh, my Catholic uh, upbringing and education, you know. Um, but when when I was first pregnant, my first pregnancy, um, I had a miscarriage. And I had been, you know, out of the Catholic Church and out of being a practicing Catholic for a long time at that point in my life. And I had had many, you know, experiences, different experiences of spirituality and faith and, you know, and massive education. And when I had a miscarriage, and I remember, like, bleeding through the miscarriage, and all I could think of was, oh, my God, this is God punishing me because I married a divorced man. Like it's so in there from when you are exposed to that. Certainly in Ireland, when you're exposed to that education, so young, undo it. It's a lifetime. It's a mammoth task. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That's terrible. I know, but but it it was also an education to hear that about myself, you know. But the way the Catholic Church frames the female experience was so negative. Clearly. And still is. And still is that I guess that I have, in a way, one of my devotions in life is to, like, transform that and change that and offer a more true and, you know, realistic... um, Empowering. ...of the the female experience. Yeah. Which is, of course, the exact opposite. Do you have any particular portions of your book that you would like to read? I guess, why don't I read this little part, just because I just mentioned that about the church. Um, Some times and places and people have tried to treat a woman's body as less than sacred, less than the sole giver of life. They have failed to see that a woman's body is in essence sacred, is in essence power, is in essence at the center of the life force. All that is could not be without woman in all her churning forces of being. This is always and forevermore so. This is our nature as women. This is our birthright. This is what being a female human amounts to in all its glory. So we don't need to get political or, you know, confrontational about it. It's just a matter of us being able to express and understand and speak freely about the gift that God has given us in my mind, right? Our our unique, our body is unique, each and every one of us. Yes. And it's something that should be um, 
empowering and, and sacred. And you talk about being sacred as well in the book. There's a, a segment from page 12 in your foreword. Can I read it? I have it. I printed it out. Of course. Yes, daughter, this is my gift to you, the gift of knowledge, a sweet form of knowledge that I am passing on while you are still open to me, as a daughter is to a mother before she becomes a woman herself and begins to discover the world in her own unique way. Listening to the rhythms of your heart, and listening to those that seem to dance to the same beat as you. And sometimes mothers don't seem to do that, but that's all right. When the time comes for you to strike up on your own and away from me, I will remain here in your background, going about my day while keeping a place of stillness, ready to hold you if ever you need it, and always on your side as you travel through life in all its magic and all its adventures. That's a beautiful gift from you to your daughter and everybody else that, that reads this. It's just written so beautifully and, and open. What I love about that particular passage you chose was, um, you know, there's so much magic and laughter and fun in being a woman, you know, in the deepest part of being a woman. And it's something that I cherish and, like, my, you know female friends and uh, you know it's like that joy that joy that when women get together and dance and sing and laugh and all you know what I mean it's just like I can just feel like it's just such uh, come alive <laughs> yeah it's just the aliveness of it you know what I mean the like totally intoxicating aliveness of it all you know yeah it's pretty great it's pretty great yeah it's pretty pretty yeah. great is there good and bad feedback when you write a book like this? I guess there's always good and bad feedback when you're an author. I mean, I've only had positive feedback. I think the the challenge of a book like this is some people just aren't ready to get it, you know? Um, you know, there's a, there's a I guess, in, in some ways, even though it's quite simple, the information, there's a subtlety to it. But if you're, if you're very, you know, removed or ashamed or, you know, scared of that, that part of you um, or have just never felt it fully, you know, there are people who are raised from the get-go um, in such kind of, um, what would be the word, like disconnected households. Mm-hmm where reason and, um, you know, there's a dominant theme of not listening to yourself. Or emotionally or stifled. Or not your body, uh, totally emotionally stifled. Um, like, this could be a little bit confronting for, for people, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's like I, I've been listening recently. I'm so glad I discovered her. I don't know if you know her. Um, Robin Wall Kimmerer. No, I don't. She's a Native American uh, botanist. And she has written books. Uh, one is called Braiding, uh, Braiding Sweetgrass. Um, the other one is Gathering Moss. And... Um, speaks so beautifully about the 
the, the way the earth informs us and educates us and how reciprocity is so important between us and, you know, the planet and um, the, the kind of, uh, like, how the, the intelligence in everything, you know, that everything has intelligence. Everything alive has intelligence. And, you know, we need to respect that intelligence in everything. Um, she has a quote here, uh, the land knows you even when you are lost. And, and I just, I love that, um, that notion that, like, as, as humans, we're just part of this land. And the land knows us, and we can know the land in this really quiet, subtle way. And I just think people are so used to living in very loud, distracting lives that we lose sight of that uh, very gentle um, aliveness that actually is our life force and is what makes us strong and healthy and, you know, allows us to thrive. And and so learning to listen to it in ourselves allows us to listen to it in our environment around us and then allows us to kind of create a world that can thrive as opposed to, you know, trying to dominate our bodies or dominate the land or, you know, dominate each other even, you know. Um You are listening to Should Have Listened to My Mother. I'm Jackie Tantillo, and this week's guest is absolutely wonderful. The first time we're actually speaking, Dolores Rice, the author of a book that I think is uh, beneficial, useful, helpful, inspiring, uh, The Alchemy of Womanhood. And it's you can find it everywhere, right? On Amazon, yep. Here's another quote that I picked out that I thought was kind of interesting. Advertisements that are designed to make you think that you have too much hair, too little hair, you smell too much, smell too little, look too small, look too big. That's today's society. These poor girls, poor young ladies are being pulled in every different direction. They don't know who they are, who they're supposed to be, what feels comfortable to them or they don't have as many likes as the next one on social media. It's all just such a lie, you know. I, 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 um, so apparently it was Freud who informed the advertising industry at the get-go. It was, uh, he figured out that if you could make someone feel, um, not only feel guilty, but then give them a solution to that guilt, uh, then you could force them to buy a product. So if you had a cake mix and uh, it was just add water, it wasn't kind of enough to feel like you were solving a problem. So if you had a, a, a woman add an egg to the cake mix, she would feel better because she was feeling guilty for not cooking the cake. And so once you had this kind of magical equation, that's what advertising was. So you have to make someone feel bad first and then offer them the solution. So, so everything in our world, especially towards, like, women and their bodies and their, like, periods and their, like, you know, their giving birth and, like, anything that, like, is deemed, like, you know, messy. It's, like, how bad can we make women feel about their natural, like, their natural um, m- motion in the world that they will go through? It's 
this is not not going to happen. This is going to happen. Women are going to bleed. Women are going to you know, need to take care of that. Women are going to put on weight when they're about to have their period. As, as young women, you know, young girls, they have to have a, a certain amount of fat to be able to menstruate. All these things, it's like then advertisers take this stuff that you will never be able to avoid and use it against you. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's almost criminal. It totally because is the, criminal. The psychological trauma that that creates. Uh, and, it's, and it's wrong. <laughs> it's, like, it's like just wrong. But this is, this is a gift. This is a power. This is a, a, you know, a, a magical force that women have. And then it is just, you know, dismissed and, you know, disregarded and, uh, you know, muddied. In, in the world, it's, 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 you know, well, obviously I feel very passionately about it. There's two more pieces that are relative to what we're just talking about right now. Two more quotes from the book. It is your body and it should feel as you want it to feel. Look as you want it to look. Be as you want it to be. And when you think about it, that's the simplest thing. And yet it's the most difficult for, for young women to achieve. Yeah. Um, and then there's another one. Um, that I really liked. Eat food that is worthy of being inside of you. Eat food that has the power to match your beauty. Eat food that will invigorate you, inspire you, and treat you with kindness and respect. Simple concepts. Just have to let these young women out there understand how important they are and how valued they are and how precious they are. Exactly. Again, the food, you know, I mean, that's a massive conversation and young women have a, and older women have a very complicated relationship with food. But, you know, that, that we have become so removed from the basic knowledge that what we put into our body is our body. And if you want health and if you want to feel alive in the most powerful way, you need food that is full of health and full of aliveness, and it's that simple, you know. If you want to share this book with your daughter, I think it would be a great idea. Any listeners out there to this podcast, I'm Jackie Tantillo, and I'm telling you, the second I picked it up, I, I learned new things myself. And I'm certainly not going through puberty. So <laughs> I really want to thank you, Dolores Rice, for presenting this book to me. And I have many nieces that I can share it with and friends who have oh, younger children you. that, can, that can really grow and, and benefit from having this little book of knowledge. And I can't thank you enough. Thank you, Jackie. I can't thank you enough. The Alchemy of Womanhood. Dolores Rice, and your mother, because we are talking about mothers on Should Have Listened to My Mother, Margot, we're thinking of you. I believe she's in Dublin. Is that correct? That is correct, okay. yes. And we thank you, for Margot, for giving birth to this beautiful daughter of yours, Dolores, with this wisdom and creativity and the heart that should expand around the whole globe and touch all of us, because we all need a little oh, bit more of that in the world. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on Should Have Listened to My Mother.